Uh, welcome back, guys. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Face to Face podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Jerry. I'm Sean. Today, we have a really special guest, Julia Rue. Uh, Julia has over 130,000 followers on TikTok with over 3 million likes and over 20,000 followers on Instagram. She graduated from Harvard um, in 2022. Um, she was the 2022 Fred Ebb Award winner, and she was also featured on Playbill as a songwriter of the month. Yep, and recently she's came out with her musical Dive, which is a story featuring a Korean protagonist trying to get home. And it's inspired by you calling yourself the Korean Disney princess, am I correct? <laughs> Um, I don't know if necessarily me calling myself the Korean Disney princess, but more sort of wanting to create a Korean Disney princess. <laughs> and you co-founded a Harvard club known as uh, ASAP, which stands for Asian Student Arts Project. Yeah. So um, we know that Dive is like one of your, I, th I think, uh, biggest projects. So how did you get started into creating that um, that project or starting. Yeah, totally. So Dive was actually, when it first started off, it was called Chim Chung, A Folktale. But even before that, it was my senior thesis um, at Harvard. I was a joint concentrator in theater, dance, media, and music. And so my, for my senior thesis, I wanted to write a musical because that was my main interest, um, intersecting in, in both of those things. And so I actually started off interpreting my friend's play into a musical. And it was a completely different story. And then... COVID hit, um, and my grandpa actually passed away from COVID. My grandmother moved in with us, and like every single day I was asking her questions about what was life like in Korea and practicing speaking Korean with her and, and learning more about my, my family's culture. And I realized that I had never written any musical with a Korean protagonist. And I realized that maybe it was time to kind of unite my culture with, with my art. And so I went looking for Korean folktales and found this one folktale called Chim Chung Jun, which is about a young girl who gets separated from her father and spends the story, spends the journey trying to go home. And as someone who had just recently lost a family member who was really close to me and was trying to reclaim my culture, that story really spoke to me. Um, and so I started writing a musical about it. I pivoted my senior thesis to that and have been working on it ever since. How did that, you know, um, come out? Did you get an A? <laughs> I, so we actually don't get like A, A Bs, but uh, we get grades in like Latin letters, um, which would probably mean nothing, but it, it, it went well. I got a good grade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. Um, I was wondering, what, so when you were younger, like a teen or even just a younger child, did you always have like this interest in theater and writing music? And if you did, like, what what are some things that really exposed you to, to that uh, world and that community? Absolutely, yeah. I think, to be honest, I was like that kid on the playground who would like, like in at Forsyth School, starting in really second grade, who was like, let's direct a play on the playground and make the teachers watch. And so like truly I do think that this was honestly all the way back to when I was as long as I can remember. My brothers and I would play together by jumping up and down on the beds and telling stories and acting them out. And then my cousins and I would put on a Christmas pageant every every uh, winter. And so I think really just like performing was just kind of something I always was in love with since I, for really as long as I can remember. Um, and then and then storytelling and, and music writing, that was all things that, those were all things that started to, to I guess, 
sort of come naturally when I was in sort of late elementary school. Um, and then when I got to Burroughs, I was really lucky to have been noticed by Mr. Carter and Mr. Estes and, and Mr. Battles and Mr. Pearson and, and really everyone in the performing arts scene who really helped me cultivate those interests and make them a passion. Did you enjoy like directing plays more or like actually acting? I think like, that's a really good question because I, I loved doing all of it. I think the, there were there were more opportunities maybe in school to do things like acting and performing, but I think deep down what I really love is is writing. And just so being like behind the scenes. See how it plays out. Exactly. Because there's something just so amazing about having a performer interpret your work. Yeah. Um, and there are so many amazing performers out there. And, and nowadays, like I way prefer having performers to yeah. performing it myself. You note of uh, the school's Forsyth and Burroughs, and mm -hmm. how did that really help you uh, shape your passion into something, you know, much greater? Totally. I think the performing arts scene at both Forsyth and Burroughs was so, so critical. Like, mm -hmm. I loved music class. I loved drama class. I would literally, like, sc scream running across the playground, like, so excited to get to drama class. Um, I think it was... I think it was called drama. Um, and I, I still remember like my favorite parts of school. I was always looking forward to like, what's the third grade play? What's the fourth grade play? It was kind of this obsession that I don't think many people knew that I had. And I don't even know if I was aware of it, but looking back, I realized like that's when I was the happiest. Um, it was it was always really in, even in like painting and drawing, in anything artistic was was where I found myself the most happy and feeling the most free. And so I think what's so great about Burroughs is that we had the opportunity to just try everything and really discover what our passions were. Um, and then just incredible teachers who really, really do help you foster and, and really encourage that creative process. And so I think, yeah, like there's no better place to be, honestly. <laughs> do you have any memories that really like stick out to you and like kind of you think about today? All the time. I have a lot. Um, I can list like three, the first three that come to mind. I would say the first one was when I was in eighth grade and I was in a study hall and I was on a piece of loose leaf paper writing writing like a, a little violin duet and Mr. Carter saw me writing on that loose leaf paper and he said, oh, if you expand that out for more instruments, we can play it in our middle school orchestra. Um, and so that was the first time that I ever saw myself or that I ever saw that I ever saw my own music performed live, um, and so I remember that being like a really formative moment and realizing like, wow, this is really something that you can, you can write something on paper and then see it on a stage, yeah. and, and that was that was really definitely a formative moment. Um, the first time I ever wrote something for theater that was performed was when Mr. Pearson in my sophomore year um, here invited me to write some music for like underscoring music for the Glass Menagerie which was the spring play that year um, and 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 that was so much fun and that was the first time that I united music and like my love for music and theater um, and then the other one is actually not really performing arts related but there was this time when I was a senior in high school um, here and I had Dr. Hagerman from my English class, and she told us to write a list of every book that we'd ever read at Burroughs, and so we all did that. And then after we did that, she said, now we're gonna categorize all of those into two categories. One of them is one of them is mirror pieces, and one of them is window pieces. So like a mirror piece is something that you see yourself in, like you see 
yourself reflected in the protagonist or their journey and window pieces are obviously learning about uh, someone else's experience, um, one that's not of your own. And um, most of the boys in the class were primarily all um, mirror pieces, um, especially, but I mean, especially the people who, you know, um, weren't (laughs) weren't people of color. Um, And then I found that on this list, I only had one mirror piece and it was kind of a stretch, but I, I just wanted to have a mirror piece so badly that I was like, oh, a separate piece. It's a story about an extrovert with an introverted best friend. And I'm an extrovert with an introverted best friend. So I was like, that's a mirror piece for me. Um, and then Dr. Hagerman said this year, we're going to include um, stories from all kinds of backgrounds. And she really went out of her way to pull from really diverse narratives. And that was the first time that I'd ever had an assignment where we read a book by a Korean American author. And so I think that for me was really, really a formative memory that I think about a lot. And did you uh, use that to like, when think about when you were writing Dive? I think it was definitely like somewhere back there in that, in that realization of how, how, like how how huge that felt to me yeah. to be reading something by an Asian American artist and to realize that that was something that even existed like Asian American yeah. artists um so absolutely yeah um actually I also went to Forsyth and Nada ah, Burroughs and amazing. the Ian and Finn behind the camera behind the camera uh, they also went to Forsyth no way. as well amazing and so <clears throat> I mean we know like how supportive the community is um, it's a really good community and mm-hmm. different like diverse groups of of um, people with different interests mm-hmm. like whether it's athletics or theater or, or music or anything it's it's all like very supported mm-hmm. and the programs are all really good so absolutely yeah I loved Forsyth oh my gosh I heard they don't have the mulch playground anymore <clears throat> but that's okay <laughs> So I'm actually really interested in your journey on social media, because that's that's is is that where you sort of first blew up? Is it, am I correct? I think that's where that that's definitely where my life outside of my little bubble of school began to mm. explode. So, what was your reaction when you saw your first video um, with you know hundreds of thousands of likes and you know tons of creators <laughs> commenting? on how good your singing was, how good everything was. You know, what was your reaction to seeing the, you know, those, those large numbers that you've never seen before? It's, it's funny because I never saw myself becoming a content creator. Like I was almost anti-social media. Like I was on all the apps. I wasn't on TikTok because I'd just seen this documentary on Netflix about um, the dangers of the algorithm. And I was like, I deleted TikTok immediately after that. There was like a year before I downloaded it again. Um, but during that year when I wasn't on TikTok, I had had a couple of friends that had gone viral, um, and a couple, I'd been, I'd been hearing about a couple of musical theater writers who had gone viral sharing their content and how, how much it had sort of helped spread their art in a time where no one was sharing art because of the pandemic. Like there was, there was no live theater. The only way to share musical theater was, was really through social media and through the internet. And so I, I began to become very inspired by these artists, even as I wasn't even on the app. Um, and then when I initially posted, I truly did not expect the reaction that, that it got. I, I'd hoped, obviously, like hoped and like that there would be a reaction. I never dreamed that it could reach as many people as it actually did. And then when it did, I remember 
for the next, like, I, I remember those those two weeks after I first went viral, I, I literally barely slept. I slept, like, four hours per night, and I would just lie awake, like, so excited because it felt like there were a million possibilities that I had no idea what was going to happen, but it felt like something was changing, and it felt like all this work that I'd been putting in to become a musical theater writer and to chase that dream for the last, like, six years was finally coming to fruition, and I didn't know how it was going to happen, and, and it was so, it was truly, like, the most thrilling time I'd ever experienced in my life, and and then after that, it was just, like, the warmest hug ever because... I think I had struggled a lot with my identity as a Korean American, um, always feeling like too Korean to be American, too American to be Korean, um, not sure what it meant in the context of the arts. There weren't many people that looked like me in my field. And so then suddenly to have an entire community, both in Korea and America, embracing this project was so unexpected and so just so honestly like a warm hug is is the best way I can I can describe it I felt so welcome um in a place where I had really struggled for a lot of my life so do you feel like in some way COVID although you suffered some loss during that time do you feel like that might have helped to kickstart your career especially like on social media I think like there's absolutely I, I try to always see a silver lining in every situation. And I think the silver lining of COVID was that it forced me to take a gap year. And during that gap year is when I wrote so many of the projects that I'm now developing and making real, including Dive. And so I think that was definitely the highlight of the year. And also just getting to spend that time with my family and getting to go home and and to just kind of decompress for a year. Um, I didn't talk about this in assembly, or I guess you guys weren't in assembly, but I I really struggled with, I started writing Dive before the, yeah, before the pandemic. Was it before the, I started writing Dive, oh no, it wasn't, it was during the pandemic, but I had really, really been struggling with it, and it wasn't until I take I had the chance to take that gap year to decompress, to get some perspective, that I was able to really finish it. So there's always that silver lining. <laughs> um, you've shared like your stories in elementary school at Forsyth and then some in middle school and high school at Burroughs. And so I was just wondering, could you share some of your experiences of what it was like at Harvard, like um, the process of when you were actually writing a dive musical mm -hmm. and you know, what, what did your schedule look like? Totally, totally. So for my first two years at Harvard, I was pre-med. Um, and they were crazy because I was pre-med, but it was, pre it was a sort of in-denial sort of pre-med. Like it was, I was pre-med, but I was concentrating in theater and also history of science. And I was specializing in human evolutionary biology, but I was also had a secondary in music. Like I was just trying to do it all, which is, which is kind of what we try to do in high school, which we do so many different things. You know, you're filling up your extracurricular list. Um, but as you get older, you sort of start to realize what, what it is you want to do and you start to specialize. And I was in denial about what I wanted to do because for a long time, I didn't see people. I, I, there were no, I couldn't think of a single female Asian musical theater composer for the longest time and, and even in early, in early college. And when I first started in college, there were very few um, Asian Americans in the performing arts scene, um, at least in the theater side of it. In the dance community, totally different story, but in the theater, in the theater side of the community, very, very few. Um, and it wasn't until my friends and I founded this organization um, that, that you mentioned ASAP um, that we, that that began to change. And as that began to change, 
I think I realized the importance of having a community. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean the community has to look like you, but it does mean that it's a place where you feel comfortable being yourself along with a bunch of other people and making things together. And, and having that gave me the freedom to then switch. So then once I made the switch, things were totally different because I was no longer balancing physics and biology along with music and composition and theater and all these things. And so I really then got to hone those skills. Um, writing Dive, I think most of most of the work was done over the pandemic, which is really nice because I was just focusing on my art. I was essentially waking up and maybe exercising, eating breakfast, whatever, and then basically all day just work on writing. And that wasn't necessarily just writing Dive. I think there were like seven projects in the work at the time. Um, but Dive was really the main one. And then, and then I went back to school. It was the fall of my senior year. I hadn't finished Dive. I actually had hit some major roadblocks. I gave up on Dive, actually. The, the winter break, all right, the, sorry, the Thanksgiving break before I my big first deadline, um, went away for like two weeks and like wrote an entire musical about something else um, using songs that I had written from when I was like 16 through 22 um, as like an escape from it. And, and I basically put the project completely on pause, was focusing on school, finishing up my requirements. I was doing extracurricular theater, basically ignoring dive. Like I was like, I'm just gonna pretend it doesn't exist and pretend it never existed because of how many roadblocks I'd hit with it. Um, and then I went, over, I went away for winter break. And then when I went away for winter break is when I finally realized the plot, like how to fill the plot holes that existed. Um, and I think that break, like that winter break when I'm not in classes, not doing a show outside of school was really necessary. So then once I finished it and I came back for school, it was, it was that winter break that the, that the video went viral. And so then my senior spring was crazy because I was putting up, I was preparing this workshop where we were basically putting on a presentation of Dive, the music and lyrics for a team of professionals and my thesis evaluators. So I was doing auditions and then we were in rehearsal. I was directing people. And then at the same time, I was going home to my dorm. I was taking my classes and then I was doing, I was in like three to five producer meetings every single day um, that my agent had set up. Um, I, I was signed by, by my agent uh, after the video went viral over winter break. So then when I went back to school, I was in all these meetings every single day. He wanted me to meet basically everyone in the industry and sort of capitalize on that viral moment. So those days were really crazy. And then I finished my senior thesis and then I graduated. How did your parents feel about you switching from pre-med uh, <laughs> to suddenly learning or trying to learn uh, what you love because for me I felt like it had been an emotional roller coaster mm. for my Asian parents so <laughs> how, did, how did that really go were they supportive absolutely I, I it's funny I get this question a lot because I have a lot of friends that um, whose parents really sort of encourage stem careers more stable careers I think I was really lucky in that to everybody maybe except for me since I was like 15 years old it was really obvious that I was going to go into a creative career and that was really really obvious to everybody except for me um I was definitely like my own enemy in that I didn't believe that I could do it I didn't believe it was possible I was scared about how how unknown the future is when you are in a creative career. And so when I when I first started at Harvard, I actually came in wanting to be a theater and music concentrate. I wanted to be a musical theater writer. 
And it was my own self-doubt that caused me to go into pre-med. And I actually, my parents were the most surprised when I switched into pre-med. And so I kind of had like a reverse experience where I was like, mom, dad, like, I think I want to be a doctor. And they're like, are you sure? Like, if it's what, if it's what makes you happy. And so I, I was really, really lucky in that I had really supportive parents um, who always really encouraged, encouraged all three, me and my brothers to, to pursue our dreams. Um, but I think also it was just really apparent that like I was so much happier when I was making art. And I think my parents could see that. And so then even when I was pre-med, I was still making as much theater as I could possibly get my hands on. And so then when I ultimately did switch back, um, it had been after a couple, a couple successes. Um, I had had my first professional production um, at the American Repertory Theater. I had had a couple amazing mentors um, who said, who really, really encouraged me and said that it would be possible if I wanted to do this. And so I think that sort of gave me and my parents the confidence. Um, and so then I, then I switched and I never looked back. So do you think that like when you co-founded ASAP and found that support there, was that kind of the moment that you felt, okay, I'm all in for theater now? Absolutely. So I, the first show that we put on with ASAP was called The East Side and it was an original musical. It was a musical comedy, a one act. The whole purpose of this musical, like my entire mission in creating this musical was to get other Asian American students involved, was to basically build that community that I'd been seeking. And so all the time, like my friends always would say throughout the whole process and after they'd be like, oh, the East Side is Julia's baby. It's Julia's baby because it was like this idea I had. We made it. And then I arranged, we pulled together the whole production team. But the truth is, I was the East Side's baby. Like the East Side born, born is that the born the new? Like I was born out of the <laughs> the new me was born out of the East Side. Before East Side, I had so much self doubt, and then I realized from that experience how much stories can affect people. Um, during the East Side, there was a group of kids from this program called Chinatown After School, like 60 kids who came and they sat in the first three rows. And I remember the moment when I saw their faces in the audience and saw how just excited they were to see people who looked like them on stage and realizing that that was an experience that I never had as a kid. And that was something that I could give to other people. And then seeing the effect that it had on our college community. Like I had friends and peers and people I didn't even know texting me, messaging me after the show saying, this made me call my mom or <laughs> like this made me like think about my identity, think about my culture and or saying like I've never seen anything like this on screen, on stage. Like I've never seen anything so joyful and comedic, but also like representing my culture on a stage that made me realize like, wow, actually, maybe we're doing something really important here. Um, but most of all, just having the community and having all my friends working together on this show and converting all of them into theater kids like that was such a formative moment for me in realizing, oh, this is not just something I want to do. Like, this is something I have to do. And then I was like, so I feel like I'm the East Side's baby, even though people say it's, it's the other way around. Um, and then actually from that was, was how I got my first opportunity, my first professional opportunity, because the artistic producer of the nearby theater attached to Harvard um, came to see the show. And so then she invited me to write my first professional opportunity. And then she was the one who, who said to me, um, like, if you, if you want a career in theater, you, you absolutely can and should have a career in theater. And, <clears throat> and that really gave me the confidence to switch. Okay, I, I have one more question before we 
transition into the game. Um, <laughs> so this is, I guess, this could help with, you know, current Burroughs students or maybe future Burroughs students, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, or just any high school students that are um, maybe in a similar position to you. Um, in high school, I was wondering, did you take, like, a lot of acting classes or, like, public mm. speaking <laughs> or anything like that? Did I? I don't, I don't think I actually took acting. I did take improv. I want to say that was junior year. Senior year. I took improv senior year. I took the required speech and debate in 7th and 8th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the musicals outside of school. But I didn't really actually take acting classes. Um, and I think part of that was that my dream was never really to be an actor and, and still really isn't to be, to be an actor. Um, but um, I think in high school, I was really focused on... Like, my main mission was, like, get into college. Like, take the important classes that'll get me into college. Do the tennis team. Practice violin. Do the orchestra. And then the escape from that was writing music after school, like, when I had free time. Um, and I remember, like, I was really, really stressed in col- in, in high school. I, I heard a – there was a ninth grade student talking to me the other day. It was really – or tenth grade student. who was really stressed about – um, two tests that she had coming up, and I remembered how stressed I was in high school. And I would actually go home and like go home and just like mi- mi- miserate. Is that even a word? Like just like sit in my misery about how anxious I was. That was my sophomore year, and then junior year is when I discovered writing, or I guess second half of sophomore year is when I started writing my first musical, and all of that got funneled into that passion. Um, and it was like the biggest relief. And so I, I really think a lot of it was sort of that outside of class work. Um, but it was like the opportunities that Burroughs' teachers provided outside, outside of class. Like, although I guess orchestra was a class um, and, and like the, the high school play was a class. But it was really like all of those opportunities, playing in the orchestra, getting to act in the musical, getting to write something and then see it put up. Um, those were, I think, the, the, the moments where I most developed um, that passion. And then, and they were the things that helped me get through these rigorous classes. I guess now we can transition into <laughs> our, our game. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a Disney movie draft. So everyone um, sort of goes around and they pick uh, one thing from a category and um, and our category is Disney movies. Disney um, movies. Yeah. Since awesome. uh, your creation dive was inspired <laughs> by Disney, um, and yeah, is it is that is that it? Sounds great. It, yeah, sounds yeah. good. Let's and, do it. And yeah. how many are we doing? How many picks are we? Let's doing? do let's do uh, Th- three? Three, three, three 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 picks. Okay. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds good. Three. Cool. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So Jerry, do you want to start? Okay, I'll start. Um, Should we do favorite or like just the most like it's it's famous or just um, iconic. Iconic, yeah. Do you guys watch all the Disney movies? Like, do you go back and because I'm like yeah. ten years older than you guys, so like, are we gonna have different like? I watched, I watched some, I watched some of them. Okay, okay, okay. And also, there's like um, remakes that yeah, are like yeah, that yeah. they used to be animated, and now mm. it's like I don't know what it's called, like real life. All the remakes, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then question before we start: Is like all Disney on the table? Like, is Star Wars and Marvel on the table? Because technically, those are Disney movies now. Uh, I think. Well, let's do it. 
Okay. I, yeah. okay. To be honest, I don't really know many Disney. Yeah, we might run out. So cool, 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 cool. Okay. Uh, okay. We can do that. All right. It's good thing you, you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I guess my first pick. Right. I'm, I'm gonna pick a really iconic Disney movie, um, The Lion King. I knew it. No. I knew, so I knew the first person <laughs> was, was gonna, gonna say Lion um, King. I just, I just remember. <laughs> I, I didn't. Um, I just remember I was like really young and I went to the Fox and I watched. Um, like a, a live a live show of the Lion King and I mean I don't remember too much I do remember that like when uh, Mufasa fell I could see the yeah. strings that were like he's not real he's not yeah so but I don't think I really understood um, since I was so young uh. but um, and then I know a few years ago they came out with a with a remake with like the animated version the, yeah like yeah the, the more or like realistic 3D animals and I thought it was really cool so yeah <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, everyone's first pick. My first pick is uh, is is one of my favorite childhood favorites. Um, I think it was made in 2016. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Frozen. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Was that your first pick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, I'm gonna like go off the beaten path and say Enchanted. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not like one of the main, like, you don't think like Enchanted when you hear first, like Disney movies, but like, I just think the idea is amazing. I love all the actors in that cast. And I've watched it a million times and I, I kind of want to watch it again tonight because I just thought about it. <laughs> all right, so my first pick, also an iconic movie, <laughs> uh, Finding Nemo. Oh, wait, pick. is that Disney? Pick. I th I'm pretty sure. Oh, it's a Pixar. Wait, it's Pixar Isn't Disney. Disney Pixar? Yeah, I think oh. I think Pixar is Disney. Wow, you guys are gonna win. That's okay though. Huh. I'm not here to win. I'm here to share my favorite movies. I'm ready. <laughs> um, oh, wait, so do I have to say a movie or can I say like a series? I think Ooh. I think movie. Cause yeah. yeah. Like one movie. Yeah, yeah. Or like maybe pick a movie out of a series. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I guess. This is kind of like a little bit different than all the picks so far, but because we discussed it earlier, I'm gonna go with the the first Iron Man. Mm, that's a really good. Okay. Pick. That's actually kind of okay. a bad pick. That's <laughs> no, that's really a good pick. movie. It's a good. It's, movie. it's a good movie, 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 but like, movies, it's it's fine. It's fine. It was like the start of Marvel, yeah, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me think. <laughs> so there was Marvel before Disney owned Marvel. <laughs> Oh, yeah, technically not a Disney movie. <laughs> well, now it is. It's fine. Nowadays. That's what we said, Sean. That's what we said. I saw it, said. I saw it on Disney, Disney Plus, yeah. so. <laughs> so it counts. Um, I'm going to pick Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Mm. I'm really into Star second Wars. One? Is that the second one? Uh, I think that's the fifth one. Or or fourth. Uh, it's one of them. Yeah, it's one of them, I think. Like the second one in the, in the first three movies, I, I think. <laughs> is it? I thought it was the fifth one. Or like the yeah, like in the timeline order, I guess. Hmm. It's the fifth one. Well, it's my favorite Star Wars movie, so there you go. I'm also gonna. I'm, well, I'm gonna also go off the path and name my favorite Marvel movie, which is Spider Man No Way Home. I think the best day of my life was watching. <clears throat> spoiler alert! All three Spider Men <laughs> appear on screen in the movie theater. And like the whole theater screamed. Like that was the best. Mo yeah. That was the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> Who do you think did it uh, the best? Toby. Oh, I have to Andrew. say Tom Holland. I have to say Tom, Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man. 
yeah, controversial opinion, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Sarah, Sean. <sighs> hmm. All right. For my next pick, I'm also good on the Marvel route. <laughs> um, I'll go with the Incredible Hulk. It's not. It's not necessarily. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. 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 Sorry, Sean. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's not necessarily like. <laughs> Even Julia doesn't have a comment. <laughs> she just. She's a, mm, she, she didn't like that one, Sean. It's, it's not. It's not you know like the best movie, but it's it's an iconic movie. Iconic. <clears throat> okay. Everyone knows the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody wa- nobody watched the Hulk. Like, the incredible I don't Hulk. ever. I don't remember watching the movie at all. Yeah, he's gonna get his own movie eventually. They got a new one. Gonna- all right. Um, so I I was actually like struggling to think of one, but like I just thought of like a really good pick, and it's yeah, also was, a really iconic movie. Too. Um, and there was also a remake a few years ago, and so I'm gonna pick Aladdin. Oh, that's a, a really good. One. I love Aladdin. That's I like the remake that been a my lot. Choice. Yeah, oh, okay. I should have picked, yeah. picked that one. <laughs> Instead of the Hulk. Instead of the Hulk. <laughs> okay. Um, jokes aside, uh, I'm gonna think about my pick here. It's serious now. Mm. Oh yeah. Also, uh, one of my childhood favorites, um, Toy Story. Oh. oh. Is that Disney? Yeah. Pixar. Is that? Oh. Is that yeah, Pixar. But you know, we count. We count it as Disney. Disney. That feels like it counts. Yeah. Mulan. That's Mulan. A good pick. I That's love a good that pick. movie. Good songs, funny. It's a little like, but it's it's funny. It's, I it's like an that enjoyable one too. Yeah. Is, is Kubo and the Two Strings? Is that Disney? Oh, I don't know what that is. Hey. What? Yeah. What is? Wait. That? Yeah. What is that? He made that up. He made that up just now. <laughs> He's trying to win. He's trying to be like different and unique. You know, I, Kubo. I promise it's a movie. Um, Julia, I'll, I'll change my pick. I'll change my pick. Hey, let me ask Julia okay. a question. Hey, um, yeah, yeah. Did Mulan have any like inspiration in your uh, in Dive? I think all the Disney movies had some sort of inspiration, um, probably including Mulan. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. If, I don't know if I would say there's like a direct sort of. Okay. Um, although what's interesting is Mulan is a story about filial piety, and the original Shen Cheng is a story about familial piety, and uh, filial piety. And I I think. <coughs> I almost tried to like sort of flip it, like say like, oh, how can I sort of make it not that story? Because we have so many more narratives other than like daughters serving their fathers, like daughters sacrificing themselves for their fathers. Um, so I, I sort of tried to get away from that aspect of the narrative a little bit. Um, so so if it did have an influence, like probably partly that. Hmm. All right. Sean has one more Wait, pick. Sean, I think we did four. Oh, no, that was, uh, that was three. three. Sean has one more. Right. Oh. I'm going to go with Ariel. <laughs> you mean Ariel. the little mermaid? That one. <laughs> Ariel. Ariel. First Kubu, now Ariel. Hey, actually, actually, I respect your pick because my favorite thank Disney you, song you, is Under you. the Sea. Yeah, that's oh, my favorite. It's a great song. The little mermaid. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. I like this pick. I like this pick. The Finding Nemo and Little Mermaid make up for the ocean. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I I, I don't think it does, Sean. (laughs) I don't think anything. I don't think anything would. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, uh, A a big pick, bro. No. All right. Anyways, (laughs) we'll go back to the questions now. Um, 
Um, I, I have a question. Yeah. So I guess it's related to um, writing uh, musicals and also, you know, I don't know, writing anything in general. Um, you said that you were, I guess, could you call it writer's block? You had like a lot of, you were struggling a lot um, throughout, um, like, I don't know, when you said like the summer and the fall. Mm -hmm. And then you said in, in winter break, you had like this moment where you figured out what the, um, what the problem with the plot was. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering how did, was that like just all of a sudden you just, it just came into your head or was it like over a series of, I don't know, totally. decompressing in winter break? Totally, totally. So I started writing this piece summer 2020. And when I started writing it, I, I was literally like, we were coming home from the beach and I was like, I have an idea for the plot. And so I literally took out my phone and wrote down an entire plot on the like one hour drive back from the beach. And when I got home, I was like, I know the whole story. This is gonna take me two weeks to write. And I had this idea when I was writing it. I was like, this is gonna be my breakout piece. This is gonna be like my piece that when I show it to people, I'm like, I had this feeling it was gonna change my life. And it, it ultimately did, but like, I don't know why I had that weird premonition, but because I had that premonition, in a lot of ways it caused me like anxiety about it because I would say like, it has to be perfect. This is my breakout piece. This is gonna be the one I'm showing people. And so I think a lot of the, the, it, there was just a lot of external outside pressure of me being like, it has to be perfect. And working by myself, I had to make every single decision. And so I, I often got caught between decisions and would go down a rabbit hole of like, let me like kill off this character and see what happens. And so then I would just run down these, these rabbit holes. And then I think there was this second roadblock of like realizing that for the first time I was telling a story based on a Korean folktale this is a story set in a not Korea, but a fictional country inspired by Korea and realizing that as a Korean American, like what is my place in telling that story? Like what's my perspective as someone who's never lived in Korea more than one month that I did one summer? Um, am I even like, is it okay for me to tell this story? And so I think there was a lot of problems like of, of me not knowing if I was just like the right person to tell this story and being like, how dare I, like this random Korean American girl with no experience. And so I think a lot of, it took me a really long time to realize like I can only tell, like whatever story I tell will be my story and I'm not trying to represent like an entire country. Um, but it took me, it took me a lot of struggle of going back and forth and realizing, and realizing that. Um, and then also just like realizing that I need to take the pressure off. And so I think when I said I, I'm quitting this show and I'm writing another show, that's how I took the pressure off in terms of that, like, this must be my show thing. And then the second thing was just those those months of reflection and reflection of realizing I don't need to represent an entire country with this. This is just going to be my story. And this is just going to be the first um, of, of, of this particular kind. And the way that this particular story is told helped me take the pressure off and through all of those, I had written like drafts and drafts and drafts, drafts where this character didn't exist, drafts where this character did exist and written all these songs, threw away like half the songs and then I quit it and then I went home and it was winter break and then like literally December, I wanna say, I wanna say it was Christmas Eve. I woke up like two hours earlier than I intended to wake up. So I woke up at like 7 a.m. I was lying in bed and I was gonna go back to sleep but then I was like, wait what if I resuscitate this character that I got rid of? Because I had how, I had, had these plot issues. I couldn't figure out what happened in the second half. I was like, but what if this character actually did exist? And I was like, wait, then I could use this song here. 
And then I could use this character that I invented when I got rid of this character to do this thing. And then this could happen here, and then this could happen here. And then suddenly it was like every, like all six drafts that I'd been working on all were combined into this one draft. And I was able to, I was like, and then if that happens, I can use this song and I can use that song and I can use all these songs that I'd gotten rid of. And then I like shot up out of bed. I, I literally sat there like this for like 30 minutes, like doing all the like, brain math. And then I, I, I like, I sat up out of bed and I was like, I think I can do this. So I went, I opened my computer and I typed out a new treatment, which is basically a new summary of the show where all and where all the songs go. And I was like, oh my gosh. I literally ran down the hall, ran into my brother's room, like woke him up. I was like, wake up. Like I figured out the plot of my musical. And he's like, what? And then I spent the next week, morning till night, rewriting the whole show, rewriting it, like do enact, enacting everything I'd written in that treatment. And then on literally December 31st, 11.30 p.m., and I really wanted to go to a New Year's party that year, but there was no New Year's parties because it was COVID. And so like, I remember being like, oh, I'm so sad. I've never been to a New Year's party. I really want to go. But then I ended up spending that evening writing. And because I did that, I finished 30 minutes before the New Year. And that was like the best feeling in the whole world. I was like, oh, it's done. Like I have a draft after a year and a half, like almost two years of angsting over this piece, like finally having a draft that was like, the greatest moment and even though no one had seen it other than me it was like that was the biggest moment of achievement that I felt at that moment um so yeah that was what that process looked like so for you as a teen mm -hmm. what would you say was like the best advice that kind of just kept you mm -hmm. motivated and like kept you going totally because I have some like issues with like mm -hmm. keeping forward with projects mm -hmm. <coughs> sorry um like I like to do a lot of programming, yeah. and I, and I mm -hmm. create, you know, like, just uh, like different products and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I try for like two weeks, and it seems like the best thing ever. Like, mm -hmm. this is the thing that's gonna change yeah. whatever I'm trying yeah. to change. And then I, I, uh, I stop the project because it just mm -hmm. it just gets boring. Mm -hmm. Like just this one day, there's suddenly mm -hmm. the switch off mm -hmm. that um, ruins my entire motivation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna need some advice to sort of. <laughs> you know, continue these <laughs> totally. Oh totally. well, no, absolutely. And I think honestly, I have that experience even still all the time, where I'll start an idea and then be like, mm, start to slow down, or start to, is this the best idea? And I would say there's a couple things. Number one would be, remember why you started that project. Like, mm. why? What were you excited about? Because you started that because you were excited about something. And every project is going to have these ups and downs. But as long as you remember the reason that you initially felt like this is important or this is going to change things or this is going to be special, go back to that core reason and use that as your motivation. That's number one. That's kind of the long-term motivation. That's not going to get you like sitting up and working on it. The number two thing is like something I do all, all, all the time is like if I really can't get myself to go to the computer and start typing – I'll take out my phone, I'll put a 30 minute timer on, set the timer, put my phone down. I'm not allowed to look at my phone for 30 minutes and try to write as much as I can in 30 minutes. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be effective. I'm just working for 30 minutes and trying to get as much on the page in 30 minutes. I don't know if that translates to code exactly, but um, just like having that timer ticking, there's something about it that like really gets you going. Um, and then the third thing I'd say is like have an accountability buddy. Um, someone who you're excited to show what you're doing too. Like for me, the I nothing that I've ever written in my entire life 
did I write picturing like the masses that are going to see it or like saying this is just for me. I know there's a lot of artists who say this is just for me. For me, I think about who's going to see it. So like I was writing songs like I was writing like five, like like a song a song a week back when I was in in high school, not necessarily for a musical, but just for fun. And like I had two best friends that I would show those songs to. And like I wouldn't write those songs if I didn't have those two best friends to show the songs to and like seeing the reaction on their faces when I wrote the song, like, that was that reward. So, like, think about, like, what is the immediate payoff or who is the accountability buddy or who is the person that I'm doing this for? And I think having those frequent check-ins with that person or with those people will really help you continue to do the work. Are there any um, idols in Hmm. the film or music industries that have inspired you? Because I know you said that... Like, um, you haven't really seen yourself reflected as a Korean-American, I guess, playwright and Mm -hmm. composer. Mm -hmm. Um, But are there any other people that inspired you? Absolutely. So many. Like, I truly feel like everything that I've done, everything that I did up to when I was, like, 21, maybe even 22, was straight up just copying people that I was a fan of and, like, trying to sound as much like them as I could before I started going off and doing my own thing. Um, in songwriting, Sarah Bareilles is my favorite songwriter. Um, although obviously, like I don't know, like Olivia Rodrigo is so good. Um, in in musical theater, um, from a creator standpoint, not necessarily like the artistic style, but like from like who he is as a person, like Lin Manuel Miranda and his mission. Like I think he's incredible um I also think like in terms of music style like I drew so much inspiration in my earlier days from Alan Menken who did all those Disney movies um Stephen Schwartz who did other Disney movies and they worked together on Enchanted maybe that's why I like it so much um (laughs) (laughs) um and and like Janine Tesori was the first female musical theater writer that I'd ever heard of when I turned 18 and I was like that exists and then um like like the the frozen writers Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez they actually met in a class that I'm currently attending in New York City um and they're married now um and and really like all of those people Larry O'Keefe is is one of my mentors right now and he um wrote my favorite musical Legally Blonde so it's really kind of drawing from all these all these people and learning from them but listening to them and then seeing how I can apply my own style to what they do so you recently went on air with CNN is that is that correct (laughs) yeah you know one of my goals is to be on TV because when you're on TV you know you made it Um, so how did how did going on TV feel for you and what was the experience like totally so it was funny because I back when I had first gone viral I ended up doing all these a bunch of live TV interviews and a bunch of things and mm-hmm. and there were so there was so much going on at that time that like everything every other day there was something that caused my adrenaline to like go like this and it was this crazy time but but uh, two weekends ago it was it had been a while since I'd done a live TV interview and I don't know why I was like so nervous like I was like incredibly nervous to the point where I was like staying up at night like thinking about what all my answers were gonna be and then of course like in the morning like in the moment you forget them all like the, yeah. the way that those those like zoom zoom style TV interviews work is literally so let's say your interview is at 7 a.m. You wake up at, you. they they want you online by 6.30, 6.40. So you wake up at like 6 to like make sure you don't look like you're like, you know, just woke up. And then 
you sit there. You, you, you log on at 6.30 and then you sit there with your headset on and then some a producer comes on and they're like, okay, Julia, uh, thanks for coming. We're going to have, your segment's going to be on in 15 minutes. So sit tight. And then you just like sit tight and you just like hear them talk about the news. And then, and then they're like, can you tilt your camera down a little bit? Great. And then, like, you know, they'll just, like, they'll be like, can you count backwards from 10? They'll just, like, tell you, like, and I don't know why. You're just, like, sitting there, like, so nervous. Like, it's, like, 30 minutes are going by, and you're like, when's it going to happen? And then finally it happens, and then it goes by like that. Because because the segments are, like, three minutes at the longest. And and they, they want you to keep your answers really short. So it's one of those really high adrenaline things where they're, they ask a question, you answer. They ask a question, you answer. And you're like, people are watching me right now. And when I was doing the CNN, there were a little bit of a technical difficulty. So I was like, I can't see anyone. I don't even know who I'm talking. Like, I can't see who I'm talking to right now. I can't see myself. Um, so that was, that was, I think for whatever reason, that interview was definitely my, my, scary one of the scarier ones that I've done um but then it was over and then I was like wow I had no reason to stress out about that (laughs) but it was fun yeah definitely you'll get there you'll be the host (laughs) you'll be the one hosting I hope so (laughs) um I guess you know when you're writing all of these musicals and all these plays because you you said you're working on several projects at at once sometimes so who is, do you have like a team that also helps you or friends? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I have a team, so in terms of the actual writing, I, I work with a bunch of different collaborators and I generally only have one project at a time mm-hmm. that I'm only working on by myself um, just because I, I much prefer collaboration over working by myself. And the working by myself is, is only exists so that when my collaborators are all busy, I have something to keep working towards. Um, and so generally, I make my schedule based on my collaborators' availability, and we kind of do the same. And some of my collaborate, collaborators are a lot busier than other ones, and so um, sometimes it's like we're meeting once a month, or sometimes it's like my collaborator and I will meet every single day for one month, finish the project, and then move on and do the next one. Um, so it really depends on, on their schedules. And then in terms of the team that helps me, um, I have a team of five agents at CAA, which is Creative Artists Agency. Um, my main one is Kevin, and he's my main point of contact. Um, he also went to Harvard, also Asian American. Um, uh, he's 10 years older than me, and we actually did the same internship when we were in college, uh, but he did it obviously 10 years before. Um, and so that's, that's how we were ultimately connected. Um, and so they will help me from with everything from like getting brand deals to helping negotiate contracts to helping schedule meetings with producers or meetings with other people and meeting interviews and speaking engagements and making sure that everything is equitable, that I'm getting paid for the work. And, and so they're, they are like, could not, I could not survive without them doing that work. So what are some like future plans or upcoming events that you plan to do or work on? Upcoming, upcoming things. What am I working? Well, the the big one is that I'm developing Dive with the American Repertory Theater. Um, it's going to be directed by Diane Paulus, who is a Tony Award winning Broadway director. I'm co-writing it with a amazing playwright and TV showrunner named Diana Sun. Um, so we are in early, early rewrites right now. We're going to rewrite the entire show. So it's going to be a while, but we're hoping to workshop either late this year or early next year, once we have that full draft. Um, that's one of the main projects. We also signed up, I, I signed a 
publishing deal recently to develop um, the story into a uh, middle grade novel. So that's like eight to twelves. Um, and then there are a couple secret projects that I unfortunately can't tell you about um, that are in sort of like the film and TV space. Um, and then I am working on two books right now. Do you have a, um, a goal of maybe working with Disney either on, on Dive or I don't know, a future project that you write? I think it's definitely a dream of mine at some point to work with Disney on something. <laughs> Technically, I worked with Disney on something. I, I um, uh, do you know like Phineas and Ferb? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so the Dan Povenmire, the creator of Phineas and Ferb, was one of the first people that reached out to me after wow. my video went viral. Oh, wow. He followed me and I followed That's him amazing. back and he was the like, yeah. Schmertz guy? Yes, Schmertz. he's the best. He's literally the best. He, had, he reached out to me and I, he was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, hi, like, I'm such a big fan. Like, I had literally been talking, like, the week before, like, I wish I could write a song for Phineas and Ferb, even though that show's over. And and I was, it was like a weird manifestation thing. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I love your show. And he was like, hey, you want to write a song for my next show? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you want to Zoom next week? And I was like, yeah. And like, and, and so we, we Zoomed and I wrote, like, the tiniest, tiniest little cameo thing <laughs> for the pilot episode of Hamster and Gretel, which is like something you can't, you can't even, you don't even know it, it exists unless you're like actively searching for it in the show. It's like very like Easter eggy. Um, uh, but that technically was something that I did with Disney Channel. But obviously, yeah, my dream would be to do something maybe a little bigger. So um, you do all these projects and... Um at the end, we want to know what's your what's your purpose of doing this? What's your message to everyone and uh, totally that um, from from this journey? Absolutely, um, I think my ultimate mess my ultimate purpose is to increase empathy within culture and different generations, and do that in a way that spreads joy, and so whether that means telling stories that represent my experience or my culture, telling stories that represent those of my collaborators or how ours intersect, um, telling different kinds of stories and making opportunities for people who are, like one of the greatest joys about being a writer is that in creating that story, you're creating opportunities for directors, producers, actors, stage managers, and you can hire all kinds of people and 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 just like making jobs for people that might not have had access to those jobs before. Um, those are that's that's really what I what I work towards. And just at the end of the day, like helping, I guess, helping be part of that movement towards a world in which everyone can see themselves represented. Um, well, thank you for coming on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. It was, it was a great talk. Um, yeah. We loved uh, listening to your experiences. I think it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. a really inspiring journey. And <laughs> I'm sure uh, lots of, you know, Burroughs students and also a lot of other people are all inspired by you. And um, yeah. some of them may look to you as inspiration for um, what they want to do in their life. Now so, you're yeah. like a role model for, <laughs> for all the Burroughs and... Outside of bros, people that 
Because there's a lot of those who like look up to you now. So. <laughs> well, yeah. I look up to you guys. Honestly, you guys are what inspires me. Like that's why that's why I like writing for young audiences, like, and for teens and for you know, you guys inspire me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Guys, uh, follow Julia on TikTok. Just search her name up. Uh, <laughs> and Instagram. And Instagram. And Instagram. I think you'll find her on TikTok. You know, she has 130,000 followers. So, <laughs> over you know, 130,000. Over, oh. over 130,000. <laughs> so you'll find her pretty easily. Julia Rue. Uh, her last name is spelled R-I-E-W. And also follow our socials, the podcast socials, at um, uh, the F2F podcast on Instagram. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah. yeah.